0: Let's get ready to study God's Word. Greetings to one and all. Episode of rightly divide the word of truth. This is Andrew S. Baker and it's time for another study devotional study. Please be sure to visit our webpage at biblestudy.asvzone.com where you can find links to our previous episodes and various Bible study resources. Let's have a word of prayer before we get into today's study. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you Lord for your mercy, your goodness, and your grace, and we want to thank you for your law. And as we discuss these topics today, please give us your wisdom and help us that we will rightly divide your words of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's study is entitled, The Law and Grace. And in fact, it's a little broader than that. It's really the law, the penalty of the law, and grace. We're going to look at two passages um, for our study today and they are interesting passages romans 8 verse 7 and 1st timothy 1 verse 9 romans 8 7 from the king james says because the carnal mind is enmity against god for it is not subject to the law of god neither indeed can be and first timothy 1 9 says knowing this that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers. Okay, and it goes on. Now, I've taken these two verses alone uh, because the key parts that I want to focus on are, in Romans, it says that the carnal mind is not subject to the law of God. And then in First Timothy, it says, the law is not made for a righteous man. As usual, we emphasize the key principles of Bible study. One of the principles that we're going to kind of deal with today is the tension between various verses. Okay? You know, most of the time when we talk about the tension between verses, we're speaking speaking about things like between law and grace, between faith and works. But sometimes there's tension when you're discussing the same topic like the law. So here we have one verse from Paul. Both of these are from Paul. But one verse from Paul says, the carnal mind, those who are living in sin, those who are uh, not aligned with God, are not subject to the law of God. And then we have another verse from Paul saying, the law was not made for a righteous man. And thankfully, these are not the only two verses about the law in the Bible, or we'd be kind of stuck because they are pretty much saying opposite things, or they appear to be at least from the verses that we have selected here. And there are people who will use the one because many people are opposed to the law. They see the law in a very negative context and um, and therefore they see grace as, as being something that annihilates the law. And we've talked about this in a lot of other podcasts, but usually those discussions are um, broader discussions. And this point... May get lost in there, it may take you a while to get there. So I really wanted to present this podcast as a direct addressing of the entire law versus grace thing. okay? So let's continue with Timothy a little bit because before this verse that we that we read in verse nine, verse eight says, "For we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. right In fact, that's part of the same sentence. That's, an, that's the other thing. When you take a verse, understand that the verses were not broken down by the people writing the original material, but by people coming afterwards. And verses don't always align with sentences, right? Sometimes a sentence is much larger than a verse. It includes two or three verses. And sometimes, weirdly enough, um, a verse may contain a part of a sentence, a part of two sentences, right? Verse 8 ends with a semicolon. It's not the end of a sentence. Verse 9 ends with a comma. Verse 10 ends with a semicolon. We don't get to the conclusion of that sentence until 1 Timothy 1, verse 11. When we read Romans 8, 7, that sentence is a whole sentence, but the thought associated with it is broader. Let's read from 6 to 8. For to be carnally minded is death, right? So he's establishing the separation from God in the carnal mind. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Okay, That's pretty clear. So again, in Romans, Paul tells us, at least in this passage, because Paul says a lot of things in Romans, in this passage, Paul tells us, Nope, if you're carnal-minded, you are not even subject to the law of God. You're not going to pay attention to the law of God. It's just not going to work for you. But then, in 1 Timothy 1, he tells uh, Timothy, Oh, the law, you know, you need to understand, the law was not made for a righteous person. But it was made for the lawless and the disobedient. So we have a conflict here, or an apparent conflict, That needs to be worked out. The law of God needs to be embraced before it can be accepted. Needs to be realized before it can be accepted. And someone who's carnally minded, someone who is doing their own thing and putting self above God, is clearly not going to pay any attention to the law of God. Clearly not going to pay attention to the law of God. The law of God is helpful to people who are in problems. The law of God was made most manifest. When we look at the Ten Commandments, when we look at the ceremonial law, those laws were brought to the forefront, brought to our attention, primarily because um, we had run afoul of them. Right, And that, that's true throughout the history of, um, of mankind. Paul says elsewhere in Romans that if it weren't for the law, he wouldn't even understand sin. He wouldn't know what sin was. Right? Sin is identified by the law. When you have a rule or a set of rules that say this is how things ought to operate, you can evaluate, oh, well, if that's what is right, then I can see now what is wrong. Okay? But there is a misunderstanding of the relationship between law and grace and what being under the law means and what penalty of the law is. A lot of times people equate being under the law with the penalty of the law. And they imply or sometimes outright suggest that because we are under grace, the law no longer applies to us. But this kind of thinking indicates a fundamental lack of understanding of the relationship between the law and grace. You can't have grace if there's no law. It's just impossible. I've previously used the illustration of the traffic laws to discuss the issue of law and grace. If there are no laws about speeding then you can't manifest or receive grace for exceeding the speed limit. With no limit, there's nothing to get grace about. Right? If there's no speed limit and I do 110 miles an hour because my vehicle can do 110 miles an hour, okay, that's what has happened. I've done 110 miles an hour. If there's a speed limit that says I can only do 70 miles an hour and I do 110 miles an hour and the police see me and pull me over, I'm potentially under the penalty of the law. Okay? The fact that the police chase me is because I'm under the law, right? I'm supposed to be abiding by that law. I'm not exempt from it and therefore I'm under it. And when they see me and pursue me, I'm about to be under the penalty of the law, which could involve fines, losing my license, showing up in court, etc. and so on. If when they see me, they say, listen, don't do that nonsense again, okay? I'm going to let you off with a warning this time. Then I'm under grace, But I was only under grace because there was a law. Because if there wasn't a law, they wouldn't have said anything to me. Right? They wouldn't have said anything to me. If there's no law, then when a policeman attempts to pull you over for speeding and you have that conversation, and he says, Do you know what you were doing? Uh, Yeah, I was driving at, like, I think it was 112. Then the conversation's at a weird place. Because what does he say to you then? be careful, don't do that. What does he say? There's no law. You're not in violation of a the law. Therefore, there's nothing to have a discussion about. So, there can be no manifestation of grace if there is, in fact, no law to get grace from. Okay? Because without law, there's no penalty of the law. And grace is given to rescue you from the penalty of the law. Let's go to Genesis. Story of Genesis. Because there are a lot of things in Genesis that we don't see that are right there in our face. In the beginning, that's another principle, right? You start dealing with concepts from the beginning. Now, the word grace is not used until Genesis chapter 6. But the concept of grace is manifest clearly in Genesis chapter 3. Okay, so in Genesis 1, God creates the earth and um, we get the whole outline of, of the creation culminating with the Sabbath created and right at the beginning of Genesis 2, at least that's where it's mentioned. And then in the rest of Genesis 2, we take a little bit of a deeper dive focusing on the creation of man, some of the specifics of the sixth day as it pertains to man. And in Genesis two fifteen through 17, the Lord does something very specific. He says, it says in verse 15, And the Lord took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Okay, so here we are in perfection. God has just created man. He has just put him into garden. And he places upon man a law. Man is subject to that law. Man is under the law. But under the law doesn't mean under the penalty of the law because man has not sinned at this point. So man is simply under the law; he is subject to that law, but he is not subject to the penalty of that law because he has not violated that law. Not in Genesis two. Okay. So here he is under law. But he's in a perf; he's in perfection, and he can do everything that he wants except as it relates to that law. Okay. The beginning of Genesis 3, we see that Eve is deceived. She takes fruit back to her husband. He eats it with her. And then they're hiding, right? So sin now has been manifest on earth by both Adam and Eve. Genesis 3, verse 9. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Verse 11. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Okay, so God is saying, Did you violate my law? Who told you you were naked? Did you violate my law? Because if you violated my law, that's going to bring you under the penalty of the law. And we see the penalty of the law manifest starting with verse 14, right? So God questions Adam, and then Eve does not question the serpent. He knows what the serpent has done, and he starts with the serpent backwards right so the serpent now is punished then eve is punished then adam is punished right or at least the punishment is proclaimed so starting in verse 14 now it says and the lord god said unto the serpent because thou hast done this thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field upon thy belly shalt thou go and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life okay so now The serpent comes under the penalty of the law, right? Everybody was under the law because the law was pronounced. So God issues a law right from the beginning, right in perfection. Law is not a construct of sin. Violation of the law leads to sin. The definition of sin is the transgression of the law, okay? But the mere existence of the law does not cause sin because in perfection, God gave them a law. It was a simple law, but it was still his law. So verses 14 and 15 of Genesis 3 is the pronouncement of the serpent being under the penalty of the law. Verse 16 is the woman being under the penalty of the law and verse 17 is the man being put under the penalty of the law and unto adam he said because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which i commanded thee saying thou shalt not eat of it cursed is the ground for thy sake in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Okay? So here, in verses 14 and 15, then 16, right, 14 and 15 are for the serpent, 16 is for the woman, and 17 through 19 is for the man. These are where God places them under the penalty of the law. But verse 15 has a second purpose. God introduces grace. right? And in fact, if you look at it, the serpent, that old serpent, the devil, the serpent has had stuff going on in heaven that we're going to learn about by the time we get to the to Revelation, right? We're going to learn more about his issue in um, Isaiah 14 and in Ezekiel 28 and in Revelation 12. So there was there was stuff that went on with him that occurred before but is written later, according to our view, our perspective from the Bible. So the serpent, he gets his condemnation right away God as part of that condemnation introduces grace and then he introduces the penalty of the law to Adam and Eve right verse 15 says and I'll put enmity between thee that is the serpent and the woman and between thy seed and her seed it shall bruise thy head thou shalt bruise his heel the seed of the woman is essentially Christ. It it does refer broadly to everyone that she would bear and everyone that would come from Adam and Eve ultimately, but it specifically ends up pointing out Christ because it is that seed that ultimately bruises the serpent. Right? So why is that important? That grace is twofold. We often focus on the bruising. We don't often focus on the enmity. In falling to Satan, Adam and Eve should have been subject to him 100%. And the Lord said, no, I'm going to put some friction there. So while y'all are going to have problems following me, y'all are also going to have problems following him. Okay? I'm going to put some friction there so that y'all have an opportunity to make a choice. Y'all aren't going to just be totally usurped by that government. There's going to be some friction. And into that Ecosystem of friction, I'm going to introduce someone who is going to uh, win back, win back what you lost. Okay. Grace is introduced because there's a law. If God had never said you can't eat of that tree, then when Adam and Eve ate of that tree, there wouldn't have been a problem, and therefore there would have been no need for the introduction of grace. So the idea that the law only comes into place because of sin is incorrect. The law is always there first or there can be no sin because there would be nothing to violate. And if there's no violation of a law, there is no sin. When a law is pronounced, even before anyone has done anything wrong, they are immediately under the law. That is not a bad thing. Being under the law is not bad. Being under the penalty of the law means you did something bad. Right? You only fall under the penalty of the law when you violate the law. But Adam and Eve lived for some amount of time that has not been expressed to us. They lived under the law, but in perfection and happiness. Why? Because they were obedient to the law. And while God has always been willing to manifest grace... It was not, that manifestation was not apparent until there was a violation of the law so that grace could be manifest. Because as long as Adam and Eve were adhering to the law of God, God did not need to bestow upon them any unmerited favor. Now, you could argue that his creation of them and putting them in a perfect paradise was something they didn't deserve because they hadn't earned it, right? Not saying anything negative against them, but God gave them something that was awesome and he just gave it to them because he's awesome. Having created them perfect and them operating in a perfect way, in perfection, the way they were supposed to, they were under the law. There's nothing wrong with being under the law. There's nothing wrong with the law. What's wrong is violating the law which brings you under the penalty of the law, under the condemnation of the law. And the only way out from under the condemnation of the law is grace, which God offers. So God offers us the law. He offers us the power to keep the law. And he offers us grace when we've broken the law and a part of that grace is the power to again keep the law. Because the law is essential. If you're running a government and you don't have any law, you're not really running a government. If you're running a kingdom and there is no law, you are not running a kingdom. You have a loose anarchy. So we need to understand, I hope that this has been helpful in understanding the relationship of the law Being under the law, being under the penalty of the law, and grace. Adam and Eve were created perfect, they were given a law. Adherence to that law allowed them to maintain perfection. Disobedience to that law brought sin and put them under the penalty or condemnation of the law. God gave them grace and that grace is not simply well just do what you want there's no law anymore but that grace says I'm going to bring you back in harmony with me and my laws okay if they were to remain carnally minded they would die they would fall away as Cain did but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Just remember that. We know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Okay? Because the law is a transcript of the character of God and shows him the path that God wants him to be in. And by the power of God, he stays in harmony with God. Romans 8, 7 tells us, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. We need to be in the Spirit. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we are not carnally minded, so that we can abide by the law of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your laws. We thank you for your guidance. We thank you for your instruction. We ask you to give us grace, power, strength, desire that we may serve you and follow your laws and live in harmony with your will. We thank you for the plan of salvation to bring us back into harmony with your will. And we ask you to help us to rightly understand your truth in this regard. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. Remember, you can find Rightly Divide the Word of Truth on Google Podcasts, Pandora, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you normally obtain your podcasts. And be sure to check out the True Wisdom Bible Study Podcasts, which are done in a discussion format. You can reach us via email at biblequestions@asbzone.com. at ASBZone.com. We look forward to hearing from you whether you have questions, comments, suggestions, or concerns. We appeal to you as Paul appealed to the Thessalonians. Brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified, even as it is with you. Until we meet again next time, may God richly bless you as you prayerfully study and share His Holy Word.